Thank you. I would like to ask you to stand, and we will read our sermon passage for this morning. It's Genesis chapter 16. I do not usually deviate from my preaching plan for holidays like Valentine's Day, and I decided not to deviate this week either, and I trust the Lord in that. All of his word is profitable, and so we know we're going to benefit from it. I think, uh, so, so the reason we're in Genesis 16 is we're returning where we left off in our progress through Genesis. It's actually quite a while back, but I'm planning to spend several Sundays in Genesis just moving forward where we left off, and I think that we have found ourselves in possibly the least romantic passage in all of Scripture. But there are treasures in here for us. So let's read Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Father, we know that your word is perfect and sure and right and pure and true. We ask that you would use it to revive our souls this morning and make us wise and rejoice our hearts and enlighten our eyes and make us righteous together. 
Let it be sweet to the taste for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. You guys are doing well. You've listened to a lot of scripture read this morning. This passage reminds us that God is attentive to his people. God is attentive to his people. We look back at his history with his people and we see a proven track record of attentive care toward his people. This passage is meant to strengthen God's people with that reminder. The original audience for this passage was Israel as they were preparing to try to conquer the promised land. And they needed to be strengthened with the reminder that God is attentive to his people. But it's also canonized into scripture, and it's here for us this morning to remind us of that same thing. So God, on Valentine's Day 2021, wants to remind you and me, I am attentive to my people. If you are in Jesus Christ, you're one of my people, and I am attentive to you as well. This history that is so strengthening is our history too. We've been grafted into God's people, and so this is now our history. This is our family photo album that we look back through. These are the black and white pictures on our walls, portraits of God being faithful to his people through all these stories of the Old Testament through Genesis, showing himself wise and surprising, but here in particular, attentive. So let's just remember this story together and let it strengthen us. As it begins, we find, we find Abram's wife, mistakenly coming to the conclusion that God is not going to come through for her. Remember, they were promised that God was going to make them into a great nation, and it was going to be through a child that Abram and Sarai would have together. But Sarai was barren. She had been barren her entire life, and she was 75 years old here. And it had probably been about 10 years since that promise, and nothing had changed. So you can kind of understand, before we're too hard on her, we can kind of understand why she might have been getting a little uneasy and a little impatient. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Hagar probably was part of the Egyptian kind of gift to Abram as they wanted him out of their land and gave him a bunch of stuff, including servants. That may be where Hagar came from. Sarai, uneasy, starting to think maybe God's not going to fulfill the promise, at least not the way she thought he was going to, now is starting to formulate her own plans. Verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, first notice that she attributes her inability to, inability to have children to the Lord. She says, the Lord prevented me from having children. That's not inaccurate. God's people have always attributed things to the Lord, knowing that he is fully sovereign. Although there is a bit of a sting, it seems like you kind of read between the lines. God promised this to me, and he hasn't done it, and he's just clearly not going to do it. So I've got another plan. 
Now, her plan seems at first to us, modern American readers, to be just bizarrely, just evil, as ungodly and bizarre. But it was a common practice. This was how surrogacy happened in the ancient Near East. Now, it's not ideal. God doesn't really necessarily condone it. But in that culture, it wasn't as shocking as it seems to us for Sarai to say, here's my servant. Maybe she can be a surrogate mother for me and I can have an heir that way. So she presents this plan to Abram, kind of like Eve did in the garden. She brings this idea to her husband and the husband's like, all right. Seemingly thoughtless, goes along with it. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Again, polygamy is a whole can of worms that this passage isn't interested in parsing out and explaining, but it was common back then. Again, never really endorsed by God, but allowed There's many possible reasons why he may have allowed it, but you look through the examples of polygamy and it pretty much always goes really badly for everybody involved. And it's clearly not the design for marriage. From the beginning with Adam and Eve all the way to the end, as we understand its mysterious meaning related to Christ and the church, polygamy is not God's way. Don't take this as a license to go and be polygamous. I don't think any of you were thinking that, but it's worth saying anyway. So they go through with the plan. Complications immediately ensue. So after Abram, in verse 3, had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. I'm sorry, I already read that. Verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. This was a common problem with these surrogacy situations. The servant, able to conceive, begins to look contemptuously at her mistress or the woman she's supposed to be serving who was barren. Uh, This was a major status thing in that culture to be able to have children versus not having children. And so you see actually a lot of laws back then, not even among God's people, What should be done in this case when this causes friction within these families? And usually the solution is you can basically do whatever you want with that servant woman. Again, this is not God's ideal way forward, but this was their situation. So Abraham says to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her in verse 6. Verse 7, we see Hagar retreats, runs away from Sarah out into the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord found her. Now we get to the most important part of the passage. This is really the focal point of this story, verses 7 and on. Hagar is out someplace in the wilderness in the direction of Egypt. Seems like she's trying to go home. She's pregnant. Any of you who've been pregnant can imagine just being on your own out in the wilderness on a long journey, what that would be like, what that would feel like. That was Hagar's situation. And then the angel of the Lord enters the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. 
The angel of the Lord is a bit mysterious. Some say this is a pre-incarnate Jesus here. I'm not quite clear enough to say that firmly, but the angel of the Lord appears frequently or at least several times throughout the Old Testament. What we can say for sure about the angel of the Lord is that he is more than a representative of God. He is a representation of God. When the angel of the Lord shows up, it is God's very presence showing up with the people he's interacting with. That's how Hagar experiences it and understands it here as well. But the point for us is to see that through the angel of the Lord, God found Hagar, this mistreated servant, out in the wilderness in a desperate situation. He sits down and he talks with her like a father would if his child ran away. Imagine a kid packing up his backpack with his teddy bear and a Kit Kat bar and saying, I'm running away, taking off out into the woods. The father realizes that he left, walks out, finds him, sits down with him. just a good father talking to his child. Verse 8, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I mean, he knows, he knows she's Hagar. Again, it's a lot like Adam and Eve when God came into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? It's not lack of knowledge, it's drawing out participation in this conversation, in this relationship from Hagar. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. In verse 11, I would consider the the real climax of the entire story. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I think this is the core of what we are meant to take away as God's people looking back on this story. We learn about Ishmael, and that's going to become more important as we read on in Genesis and we see more of him. So I won't get into a great deal of that history this morning. Although it is just interesting to note that he makes a similar promise to Hagar that he made to Abram. He's going to make a a multitudinous nation out of her offspring. Only in this case, it's going to be sort of a mirror version. There'll be 12 sons, but those descendants are going to be out in the wilderness, kind of wild people, and they're going to be at odds with everyone. The main thing to notice is that he hears Hagar and he sees Hagar. Ishmael means God hears. He wants the child's name to be God hears because he says at the end of verse 11, the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then in Hagar's response, it's all about how God saw her. And you would think if the angel of the Lord appeared, who knows what all notes you would be taking mentally to write down later or to share with people. What might you notice? What would amaze you? What would shock you? 
The main thing that she took from this was that God saw me out there in that wilderness. He is the God who sees. He is the God who saw me, who came and found me, who heard me, who listens, even to me. He's the God of seeing. I have seen the one who sees me. She names that spot a name that means well of the living one who sees me. And the rest is history, verses 15 and 16. She does go back. She bears Abram a son. They call him Ishmael. Now, imagine you are Israelite, and you are getting ready to enter the promised land. You are a small nation under one God, about to face many kings and their armies who have many gods. Your most recent history is 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of the sin of your people, an entire generation having to pass away before you can enter into the promised land. Prior to that, hundreds of years in Egyptian bondage, in slavery, some say 430, some say more like 200 and something, whatever it is for our purposes, hundreds of years, That's your whole history. Now, God did powerful things to bring you out of Egypt, but that was 40 years ago. I mean, 40 years ago from now was 1981. So since 1981, it's been pretty tough going. And even though there were some amazing things that happened then, prior to that, it had been generations. Your your grandfather, your great-grandfather, all they knew was weakness and slavery and trouble as God's people. You can understand how they would need this history. They would need to see concrete history. God does come through on his promises, and he does see his people, and he does hear his people. Even when it seems like an awfully long time before he comes through, he does come through. He doesn't forget us. Even when there's complications, even when there's complications brought about by our own lack of faith or sin or folly, even when there's just disaster, God has not forgotten his people. God hears them, he sees them, he's attentive to them. They didn't need to be afraid. And they could obediently go and take the promised land. They didn't need to have a sleepless night beforehand at any point. They could be at peace. Now, we aren't ancient Israel. We are here today. We're modern American Christians. But we, too, still need this history. We need to be reminded over and over again that God has always come through faithfully, and he's always been attentive to his people even though sometimes it seems like an awfully long time since we've seen him. An awfully long time of waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. We don't need to be afraid either. Christians are getting pretty uneasy these days. Our culture in America is shifting a bit. Things are turning. We're not favored quite like we used to be. We are culturally, as we hold tight to God's ways and truth, 
Culturally, we feel as though we're being increasingly marginalized, mocked, looked down upon, and it very well may get worse. But we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to panic. We don't need to be uneasy. Because our God is attentive to us. He has not forgotten us. He sees us. He hears us. The pandemic has us all split up and scattered about, not able to be in person together, probably not coming through this camera right now because of our internet issues. So in that case right now, my voice, unless it's able to go out on the podcast later, is just us. Okay, we're small in number in this room right now. Many of the people we love that are part of our church family aren't with us. I'm, I think, overall a pretty optimistic kind of guy. So I actually haven't been too bummed out by that um, because I, I trust that the Lord has good things he's working through this. But you can see why one might feel discouraged as part of the church in general. But even as small as we are, even if this is all of us, and even if we're not entirely sure how to go about masks, no masks, should we be singing, should we not be singing, even in all the uncertainty, all of our frailty, all of our weakness, we can trust that our God is attentive to us. He hears us when we call out to him in prayer. He sees us even when it seems like nobody else sees us. In the practical realities of daily life, so not even now just thinking big scale as the church, but individually, when the matters of what we'll eat, what we'll wear, how we'll live begin to overwhelm us. We can do just what Jesus said. You know, just don't worry about that stuff. God, your Father knows that you need them, and he'll take care of you. The same attentive God that we see here in Genesis chapter 16 is the same God who says to us, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the same faithfully attentive God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Christians, simple reminder from the scripture this morning, God hears you and God sees you. We can trust him, we can talk to him, we can wait for him patiently, we can be at peace. Let's pray. Father, please do fill us with your spirit as we pray. Help us to pray as we should. Bring to mind burdens that we didn't even realize we were carrying that we need to just hand over to you. Lord, help us to pray now as a church. Father, thank you that you are the God who sees us and hears us and that through Jesus Christ, we're grafted into your people. Help us to live in the peace that comes from that this week. Help us to turn to you in prayer often and quickly and thoroughly. Help us to live in light of the fact that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.